Hi, I'm Rhys T. Matthews, and this is Queer Margins in Quarantine. This series, I'm talking to LGBTQ plus people who are doing interesting work within the community. And this episode, I'm talking to the owner of Attitude magazine, Darren Styles. Attitude is one of the UK's best-selling, predominantly gay magazines, and has been published since 1994. I wanted to speak to Darren to find out what he thought made the magazine so successful, whether he thought a gay magazine was still needed in 2020, how Attitude is doing during the pandemic, and why he bought a failing magazine in 2016. Uh, You can see the Attitude covers we talk about during the interview by going to at Queer Margins on Instagram. So... Here's Darren. Obviously, you own Attitude magazine, but how like closely are you involved in the production of the magazine? In an overview capacity, yes. So um, I see the flat plan. I know what's going into the magazine. Um, I suggest ideas. I mean, I'm a career journalist and publisher, uh, and obviously a gay man. So, um, uh, so I'm fairly involved. Um, in terms of the day-to-day uh, writing of all the stories and things, no, there's an, there's an editor-in-chief between me uh, and the editorial team. But in terms of overall strategy and policy and um, broad content ideas and issue themes and things, um, yeah, I'm very involved in that and the Attitude Awards on the same yeah. uh, on the same basis, really. Okay. So, and you've owned, it, you've owned it since 2016, is that right? 2016, yeah. I bought it in, uh, I think, September, October, three. October 2016, yeah. Wasn't it at risk when you bought it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, <clears throat> the magazine was launched originally by Richard Desmond, the guy who uh, owns Channel 5 and at the time owned OK and a ton of porn magazines and, mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and all that stuff. And, um, and he sold it uh, uh, along with all of his top shelf portfolio when he bought the Daily Express and the Sunday Express because um, he wanted to be a respectable uh, newspaper publisher. Um, and so, um, attitude was, was considered a bit too hot to handle and so it got bundled off with all of his, his top shelf magazines, which is weird. Um, but it meant for all of that time, it, it just been owned by, by straight people, um, who, who did it because it was an opportunity to make a few quid and fair play, but, um, but weren't really rooted in the, in the community. And, um, and so, yeah, the point at which I picked it up, it was losing a couple of hundred grand a year, probably. So um, why did you, so, why buy it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a question I've asked myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, I, as I say, I had my own publishing company anyway. So, um, I had Stream Publishing, which produces magazines for third party clients. So, um, we did the in, in flight magazine for Flyby until they folded. We do, um, a customer magazine twice a year for Vauxhall, the car manufacturer, mm-hmm. um, and then a, a quarterly magazine for all spa grocery stores. So, um, I had a contact publishing business in, in, anyway. And in the past, I produced newsstand magazines for, for Channel 4 for, programs like a place in the sun and you are what you eat and that kind of stuff so um i knew newsstand uh, and i knew magazines um and obviously as a gay man like like many of us i've grown up reading the magazine and um uh, and so i i looked at it and thought you know i quite fancy that I, can, I think i can turn that around i think i can improve that um and i think it being rooted properly in its community for the first time uh would um would be no bad thing um uh you know from a uh, from a, a positive philanthropic standpoint, um, but also from a from a commercial standpoint, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, and so yes, I uh, I set about rescuing it. Okay, and what do you think it's important for gay men to have a magazine now? And that's to say, of course, there's like the argument that gay men should be able to read any magazine in 2020, but also like 
I guess attitude is geared towards gay men, isn't it? So like, is it important for just gay men to have that kind of magazine? Or do you think that is something in 2020 that could be like opened up to kind of all the community? Um, well, we are quite a broad church, actually. I mean, we are predominantly uh, a magazine for gay uh, and bisexual men. Um, but we also um, do a lot of stuff around LGBTQ uh, issues. So so we've had trans men and women on the cover. We've had um, bisexual people on the cover. We've had lesbians on the cover. And when we do uh, our annual awards uh, event in October and the Pride Awards uh, in July... Um, the, the winners represent the entire LGBTQIA community. So um, the, the, we make sure that um, we cast our net um, much wider um, than the initial remit because, um, you know, all of these subgroups are, you know, are, are relevant and part of the family. And so, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, t- I totally get it. In, t- in 2020, you, you should probably be GQ or Car Magazine or Top Gear or, 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 or whatever you like. Um, but there is a, there is an authenticity um, about where the content uh, in attitude comes from and the people it highlights and the causes it it highlights that you, you can't find outside of specialist mm-hmm. uh, LGBT media, really. And also the people who are like writing it as well. That's, you know... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, our entire uh, editorial team uh, consists of, of gay or bi men um, and, and um, in fact, the, the majority of our wider uh, team now uh, is from the community. And having lived that experience, um, then the opportunity to share that experience uh, or interpret what you see and, and, and hear via that experience, I think, as I say, gives us an authenticity um, that, that people like and respond to because, you know, um, you know you're, you're, you're talking to and with like-minded individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, so you said that, did you used to read Attitude when it sort of first came out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadly, I'm old enough um, to remember it, it, it launching. My my dad had a, a, a news agent as a kid, so I used oh. to read uh, all sorts of magazines. So, um, so somewhat somewhat oddly, um, I know what Cajun Avery Birds is, and the States Gazette, and Farmers Weekly, and all of these weird things. Cat, cat well, I think Cat Week, Cat Month is still going. I think. Um, so yeah, yeah. So so I, I had this kind of encyclopedic knowledge of. Um, of magazines for for all kinds of things, and so I remember um, when uh, when Attitude launched, um, and at the time uh, I was still living at home and I wasn't out, um, and so uh, yeah, I'd slide that off the uh, the counter uh, to, to, have, to have a look oh, at wow, it. That's lucky. Yeah, yeah. So um, so yeah, I was able to see that and um, and kind of understand it, and and and. Oddly, the, the, the kind of relationship I had with the magazine um, at, at that point um, has been described to me by hundreds of people since, including Sam Smith and Tom Daly and Matt Lucas. They kind of all, all, all at one awards event, we were swapping this kind of these my first attitude stories. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, Tom used to go and, and, and buy it um, with a paper at the weekend so he could hide it in the paper and carry it home and. Um, uh, and that kind of thing, but um, so yeah, so yeah, I think my my relationship with the magazine is the same as anybody else's. Yeah, I remember being sorry. Yes, I, I remember. Um, I grew up in Swansea, and I remember just like having that weird thing of like seeing the magazine. I never bought it when I was like when I was younger. I just feel like that kind of um, secrecy. I wouldn't have got away with it in my house. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. just like just seeing it in like W H Smith or something like that on like the top shelf was just 
like, I don't know, it was kind of like weirdly reassuring as well. Yeah, it's affirmation, really, yeah. that, you know, you, you, you weren't on your own. And, um, uh, and, and, and that's actually the, the, the greatest compliment and the thing that I think keeps us, keeps us going, um, some days is, is, it's the people you can't see and you can't hear, mm. um, who are, who are developing that relationship with that magazine and they're on that, that journey themselves, um, to understand who they are and, and, and who or what they, they, they can be. And so that's, that, that's why, actually, uh, at, at the core of our editorial mandate, really, is um, we do celebrate the big celebrity stories, the big coming out stories, the big gay thing movies, all of the celebrity stuff, and and, and that. But but actually, a key part of of, of what we do is um, introducing people to, to people they've not necessarily heard of or didn't know, who are working in different fields. So, you know, we speak to people who run their own businesses. We speak to the, um, to dancers at the, uh, at the Royal Ballet. Um, mm. lo- lots of different cross sections of, of society and different types of people that, that just kind of underscore that, um, that feeling that you're not on your own and wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you want to be, it's all fine. It's all going to be all right. In fact, it's better than all right. Yeah. Yeah. And like so many people I spoke to as well from, um, from the like series I was talking to older um, queer people, I think attitude would have been I don't, like I don't think their sort of timeline would have coincided with attitude when they were kind of like before they came out. But like magazines that were around then, they were just like they were just a lifeline because even if they like most of them were a lot of them were living outside of London, but even a couple of them that were like living in London, they were just like it would just be a, such an amazing way to be able to like go and find like groups of people as well. So they, yeah, them, exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, back in the day, that was how you found your tribe. That was how you found your people. That was how you identified. That's how you understood what the movement was um, and, 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 and communicated. I mean, certainly by the time Attitude came along, uh, that was what, I mean, 1994. So um, it was a bit more irreverent. It was more celebratory. Mm-hmm. I mean, by, by no means at that point were all of the battles won, but... Um, the climate was changing the conversation was changing but yeah go back 50 years and and yeah very different yeah uh, and also like now that kind of like for the people who can't buy it or yeah feel like they can't buy it like that sort of digital thing now must be so much better just be able to go on and like go onto the attitude website or onto their instagram feed or something like that and just see that yeah yeah Yes, that's, that's, that's the thing that's really interesting. Um, through, um, through the digital editions that you can download to your phone or your tablet or your, or your PC or whatever, um, particularly on the, the, the Apple network, obviously it's super secure. Mm-hmm. So, um, we don't know who our, our, our readers are unless they volunteer their details. We can't, uh, solicit them to buy back issues or subscriptions or, or, or any of that. They're just a, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're a number on a list, but we can see where they are in the world and and for sure um the countries in which we we're digitally downloaded in in some numbers are are the countries where um it wouldn't be safe to buy a print magazine well in fact you couldn't publish a print magazine wow really you get a license in singapore for example yeah yeah i mean there are countries well, it's 73 countries around the world now where it's still uh illegal to be gay and and it's nine now i think that have the death penalty because botswana um, actually went completely the other way. Um, and so, yeah, there, there, there are countries around the world where we, we couldn't sell. We export in print to 31 countries, um, but there are many places we couldn't go. So you couldn't sell in Singapore, for example. Um, you could sell a digital magazine, 
but you can't sell a print magazine. And in those countries, the digital magazines have got quite like you know a good pickup as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm, So, uh, well, because it's a a secure system, no matter where you are, no matter what the law says, um, you know, you can download something to your phone, um, and it can't it can't be seen, it can't be it can't be hacked or cracked. Wow, Um, that's amazing. uh, And so, yeah, so. uh, particularly if it's an Apple, if it's an Apple product, and you're and you're within an app, it it you, you, you can't be found. So um, so so that works really well. So so there are, there are countries across the Middle East, for example, uh, where we can see we have quite a following, um, uh, and, and and so on. Oh, that's so, great. That's really like so, I don't know. That's really heartwarming. Yeah, yeah. It's really it's it's it, it, it's it's some of it's the law of unintended consequences. You know, you you. you you want to make the magazine available to the widest number of people, so you put it on a, a digital platform. Um, and it's not quite build and they will come because we do a lot of promotion across the website and everything around it. But but obviously th- th- there are countries where you couldn't you couldn't access our, our website anyway um, because it would be considered obscene material or blocked or, or, or locked off. Um, but you can um, you can download an, an, mm. an app to your phone and, and, and download a digital magazine. So. Um, uh, so yeah, we do, we do find we get correspondence from places, and you think, God, how did we get there? Um, and and it's not the print magazine; it's the it's the digital facsimile. So um, I mean, we've got close to nine thousand digital subscribers. So that's without the the single issue purchases that people make, um, you know, on a one off basis because mm. they see something. Yeah, there's there's nine thousand people downloading it wow. uh, every four weeks. So um, and they, they they really are all over the place. Mm. That's great. And then, so you obviously now your world is just like full of gayness. Um, and but <laughs> when you were obviously you said when you were living with your parents, that kind of thing that you went out as well was that. What was your experience of that? Was that like a difficult time for you, or like you know coming out? How was like that experience? Yeah, it was. Well, I just turned fifty, um, and so um, I, uh, when I was born, it was still illegal to be gay. Um, mm. And uh, when I was at school, um, Thatcher's Clause 28 was in, so I couldn't speak to any any of the teachers. And then when I left school, and all of my mates were were discovering sex and 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 and, and starting to explore all of that, um, the age of consent was still unequal. So you know, I had 16, 17, 18 year old mates um, all, all hooking up with girls for the for, for the first time, and it was illegal uh, for me and, and, until I was 21. So you have these really peculiar sort of social messages that, that get handed down to you. And then, and, and then just, just at the point things started to free up, the AIDS crisis hit. So, you know, if you had sex, you were going to die anyway. So I had this kind of peculiar uh, start to, to, to life. Um, in the, the, Everywhere I turned, people were t- still telling you it was a bad thing. Um, and over time, you find you find your own way. So, so it, it wasn't easy. I didn't come out to my family until I was in my late 20s. Um, and, and, mm. and it was a struggle to adjust because all of that stigma that, that we talk about from that time was was still in uh, was still in full flow. I have to say, my, my family were, were brilliant. You know, all the fears that every young gay kid has, um, most of the time, not all of the time, most of the time, don't entirely mm. manifest as they imagine they will. Um, and, uh, and my mum was fine, and my dad was fine, and my brother was fine. All of my mates were fine. I, I used to run a Sunday league football team of all things. Um, 
for uh, for 20 years. Um, I, I, I ran this Sunday uh, football team, which is which is quite an ungay environment. <laughs> um, and you know, it was all it was all beer and girls, and then me me in the middle of it all, um, running running this this team. Um, and um, yeah, there was banter and stuff, but it was it was harmless, and I was, I was supported, and I was I was loved by one eight. So in in the end, I had a. A, a really good coming out experience, but but a very late one. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, uh, and so, I guess I guess I'm kind of living vicariously now through through others to to a degree, and in, and, and 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 enjoy being able to support and encourage uh, and, and 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 love people who are going through that exact same process, which I think is why occasionally we get quite ferocious uh, about it, uh, either in print or online uh, or or, or in the course of our events. Yeah, it's really heartening to hear as well that you're, um, yeah, that you had like such a late coming out and yet you're where you are now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes. It's a transformation I could never have imagined or dreamed or, or hoped mm-hmm. of. Um, but, you know, society's changed and, uh, and then over time, I think also as you, as, as you get older, you, you care a bit less about what other people think. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't shape your thinking or your, or, or, or your, your personality quite so much. And so, and so when the attitude opportunity came, um, I kind of went in with a couple of big ideas. Um, and, uh, yeah, t- touch wood, we've been able to, to, to action m- m- most of them. I'd, I'd created the attitude awards for attitude a few years early i'd worked with them which is how i got to kind of see inside the the business i had some experience in in events uh-huh. um and so I, I i launched the attitude awards for them in in, in 2012 i wanted to give a, a a platform that anybody and everybody could see and and hear and 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 just see people being the best that they could be regardless of where they were from or who they were um and and so taking that on and developing that was a really big thing uh, when I bought the magazine, as was the creation of the Attitude uh, Magazine Foundation, um, because I, I I wanted to come into the the community and represent it and be part of it and share stories, but realised quite quickly that that's that's great on a commercial level and turning the business around so that the magazine survives is important, but then if you're going to trade off or with or from the the community, then you've got to be able to to give back as well and 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 contribute to the people who are finding things more difficult than 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 you have so um i bought the magazine in 2016 and launched the foundation in 2018 and what Um, does the foundation what like what does that do so um so basically uh it's it's a charitable foundation doesn't have any staff doesn't have any overhead um uh, set up to support lgbt causes and so when we run live events or we work with big corporates on commercial campaigns um we always try and lever in some form of charitable perspective so that um a, a, an element of the money that we're we're making or that sponsors are spending um goes to charitable causes so we, we've raised since summer 2018 uh, a bit over 250k um and then we have a, a board of trustees that then allocates that money out on a cause by cause basis. So we've supported probably a dozen different charities now, um, from the Elton John AIDS Foundation to the food chain to the Albert Kennedy Trust to, um, Pop and Ollie, the guy that, uh, puts books into primary schools, um, LGBT books into to, to primary schools. So, um, a number of things, a number of things like that. So that, that's quite a fun part of, 
uh, of, of what we do. Sitting down and deciding uh, who you're going to give money to is not the hardest day's work <laughs> you could do. <laughs> um, what's a favourite cover that you've worked on while on an attitude? Um, God, blimey, there have been so many because the... Um, well, that's a really good question. Um, Shall I tell, actually, can I tell you mine? Or... Uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, okay. go on. Tell me yours. Uh, it is the, oh, the fav- my favorite, one of the favorite things that, um, Attitude done is the, um, interview between, uh, Sam Smith and Elton John. Yes, that was me. Yes, that was my, <laughs> yes, that was my story. Yeah. Yes, the, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That kind of, yeah, uh, yeah I just thought like that kind of thing of, um, <clears throat> yeah, just of the two kind of like, I don't know, two huge icons. I don't know, having a conversation, it was, it was just, I don't know, it seemed like something that hadn't really, like, been done before in a way, and also appeals to me, because I love Elton John and also love, um, love Sam Smith. Yeah, yeah, um, well, like, uh, if I, I give you a little bit of behind-the-scenes in- insight into that, then, um, so, uh, it was actually Sam's idea, um, so when the second album came out, we asked Ian McKellen, who said, um, darling, I'm 84 and I'm deaf in one ear. Uh, and I love Sam, but I'm not the man for that job. Um, and so we, we reached out to Elton. And at the time, um, Elton's people said, no, he won't do this. He's on holiday. It's his six weeks a year, uh, in Nice, his house in Nice. He's locked down. He, he, he won't do this. He, you know, he's, he's off to a, he won't do it. And I said, well, can you please ask him? Cause it's new music and he would be the first person outside of the label, uh, other than me to hear this, uh, to hear the album. Um, and I know he likes things like that because he's a big music fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and they called back and went, okay, so that was weird. He says 11 o'clock next Thursday at the house in Nice. Oh. Um, and, and I went, okay, Sam's in America, leave it with me. Uh, and so, uh, I called Sam and said, so the good news is Elton will do it, but only at 11 o'clock next Thursday at his house in Nice. It's that or nothing because he's on holiday. Um, and so Sam went, I'll find a way. Um, oh. and so we, we, we ended up staying a night, um, at a hotel on the, um, Promenade des Anglais in Nice. And so the following morning, Sam and I were in the, in, in the car going up to Elton's house. And we were both as nervous as kittens. I've met Elton a couple of times. And he's lovely. He's only ever been lo- lovely to me. Uh, and Sam, I think, had spoken to him briefly in passing, but no, no more. Um, and so there we were with the, the, the one and only public or, or, or one and only recording of this album out of the, outside the record label. And so, uh, and so we sat through it once in, once in silence. Um, and then a second time sort of asking questions. Um, and then, um, and then it, it was my privilege just to sit and record the hour and a half conversation between, uh, between Sam and Elton. And, and, and Elton had done his homework, had worked all of his, they'd asked us to supply some questions. Um, but Elton had 20, 30 questions of his oh. own that he just wanted to ask. And it was an absolute privilege to to sit in on because um obviously it was just two people who understood the the science and art of music in a way that as someone I, like you i'm a fan of both of them mm. um and 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 you hear it and you interpret it yourself don't you that's the, the beauty of, yeah. of of music it, it means it means what it means to you um but to actually hear hear them talking about the construction of it and the science of it and the art of it and the inspiration for it was an extraordinary thing and the conversation i swear could have gone on for days um and uh, and yeah, that was just an uh, an amazing thing. And then we all ended up staying for lunch um, oh, and the, the best part of the afternoon on on, on the terrace uh, with them. But yeah, extraordinary. Wow, that's amazing! What a great story. So yeah, yeah, that that was that probably was one of the was one of my absolute favourites, and and probably that actually in terms of of putting together something that seemed like the longest of long shots. 
at, at the start, um, actually ending up with the two of them uh, together um, was, was brilliant. And the really sweet thing was how, at the end of it, excited Sam was but by it all, because Sam's reaction to Elton was exactly the same as as, as, as mine or yours would be. It, you know, you know, you're in the presence of greatness, and um, uh, and, and 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 Sam was as nervous as, as as we would be, and then as excited afterwards oh. by by everything that that came. Yeah, and I imagine yeah, like a bit like intimidated as well. I don't know. Like, oh, the thought of meeting like someone like that. Well, the thought of meeting Elton John kind of. Gets me very excited and also makes me fill with dread. Oh, honestly, uh, you know, I've 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 interviewed all sorts of, uh, of people from from you know royalty to to red carpet, Hollywood greats, all the rest of it. But um, yeah, when Sam and I were in the car uh, going that there, looks Elton's house is on the top of a a, 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 a mountain, you know, on top of a hill, looking down over the the, the Côte d'Azur in Nice, and um, and so it's quite a sort of steep thing. And I can remember quite vividly being in the back of this black Mercedes and, and, and Sam and I just discussing the extent to which we were shitting ourselves um, and I said I so so want this to happen but a bit of me offered the chance to get out of this car now and run would and then when you get there obviously Elton's brilliant absolutely brilliant a thoroughly charming kind man David David French was there uh, as well with some of their house guests and they could not have been nicer or more excited about the the music and of course the album went on to be a Smash as well, yeah. and, and that's the other weird thing. You're sitting hearing it for the first time, and I, I'm just listening to it as a layman, thinking, "I think this is amazing. I think this is really, really good." Um, and so, obviously, I'm going to be enthusiastic about this, but I suppose I would be anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And then you're thinking, "Well, are they going to overanalyze this? They're going to tear this apart line by line?" But in, in the end, it was just like listening to two music fans uh, chat for hours about the stuff they love best and stuff they actually know about as well. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And there's, there's one really frustrating bit of the conversation, though, that I don't know. There was a point at which Elton and Sam went inside, recorded a podcast uh, for, for Elton's own um, podcast uh, channel. And Elton then referenced after lunch, there were half a dozen songs that he privately said to Sam, you should, you should cover these. There are, there, there are these songs. I want you to listen to them. I want you to understand them. And I think if you added these to your life set or whatever, it would be amazing. And neither of them would tell me what those songs were. Oh. It eats me up, eats me up to this day. So when Sam did I Feel Love, I was like, yes, I was going to say, was, one of the, was that one of them? Was one of the Elton suggestions. I don't, I, I don't know. Neither, neither of them ever told me. Yes, that's it. Oh wow, that's amazing! Wow, God, what a privilege to be in that situation. But yeah, so that was that was that was quite an adventure. Very stressful, very very stressful. But um, but yeah, brilliant thing to have to have done afterwards. Yeah, I think I slept for a day afterwards. But um, <laughs> but yeah, amazing, yeah, amazing thing. And and then the other the other cover that was an extraordinary thing. Um, I'd say I'm, I, I'm a football fan and 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 have been for years. And and for my troubles, a West Ham season ticket holder. Hmm. Um, and. God, it's probably been about 2012, I think. Um, uh, a West Ham footballer, a guy called Matt Jarvis, who was playing for England at the time as well, um, came to the Attitude Awards um, with his PR. I think he shared a PR with somebody who was presenting an award or collecting an award or something. Um, and they said, oh, we've got a, a West Ham footballer who'd like to come. And I went, really? Premier League footballer? That's a big gay event. That's not a thing. Um, so we asked him if he would do an interview. And, and uh, obviously, he wasn't gay, because as we know, there are no gay footballers. <laughs> um, but um, 
he uh but he was incredibly his his wife um i think did a uh, had a recycled fashion business uh, and so um they had a lot of gay friends and so he was very cool with the whole thing and open to that, that whole thing and so i did a, quite a detailed interview with him asking him from a footballer's perspective why he thought there were no out gay footballers yeah. in in the modern world and and if he knew of any and he said oh do you know what? i genuinely don't i've played at three clubs i've never met anyone there's never been any hint of it so um i interviewed him over over two two sessions and in between sessions he, he went back and he called his mates um at other clubs to ask them he was asking players at west ham to the point they were going really Matt, why are you on the hunt for gay footballers this is a bit weird and he went no no i'm, I'm genuinely really interested um and so he came back and he went i I cannot find a single one. He said, a couple of sort of half rumours, but nothing I'd repeat, obviously. Um, He said, but no, uh, he said, I just think it's a a fear of career and a fear of the fans. So we had this really um, intelligent, articulate conversation about it. Did a really hot shoot with him. Um, And then when it was published, the world went mad. It was on on Channel 4 News. It was all over the tabloids. Um, and, and he said after training, he and his wife went home and just sat watching all of the comments on the Mail Online and websites like that uh, just cropping up. And then all of his uh, mates or, or, or friends of his wife were, were calling to go, oh, my God, is there something Matt wants to tell us? Um, and it was a huge story. And uh, I never quite understood it at the time. <laughs> and I still still don't now why everybody goes so crazy when anything around football comes up because it, it just looks more and more peculiar every day that um that he would do something like that in the calmest most lucid of terms mm. um and yet it would get spun and and twisted and become this enormous story that that sort of baffled him and and me and it's like it's just a bloke talking about the fact that he doesn't know anyone who's gay yeah in, and talking in like speculatively as well yeah, yeah, and, and, and saying, you know, well, I think it might be this, or I think this might be the reason. And then, yeah, everything went absolutely crazy. And, I, and, and I've seen him at West Ham, or I saw him at West Ham a few times subsequently, and, we, and, and, and he still laughs about it now. He said, oh, God, yeah, do you remember, do you remember, do you remember when everyone, everyone was calling my wife to find out if I was gay, because, just because I'd spoken about gay people in football? Yeah. How extraordinary was that? And so, it, it, it's, I say, it's one of, one of the most memorable cover stories, but just for... A really odd, odd reason. Mm. It, it, it just went much bigger than the story was, really. And it's just so stupid, isn't it? That like that there are no gay. F- like, well, yeah, there's no out footballers. Like, guys, there's a lot yeah, of men uh, there. Uh, like, why don't- uh, honestly, it's just it's it's insane. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, on one level, I, d- I do understand it in the same way that not everybody's out at work. You know, you might have your private life at home and for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you don't want to be out at work. You're not that close to your colleagues or, or you wonder that it, if it might harm your career. Um, but at the same time, the world doesn't change if everybody hides. Um, and there has to come a point, surely, when somebody wants to live their their true life and be, the, be, the, be their real selves. Um uh, at whatever cost, and I, and I think when when the first gay Premier League footballer happens, I, I, I think it, it will be seismic for the sport um, and of fairly limited interest for everybody else. Mm. Because you know we we had um, Brian J Smith, the actor, um, 
who was in, God, what was it called? The World on Fire? The big BBC drama series mm-hmm. just before Christmas. Um, and, um, he came, he, he, we were just interviewing him because he, 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 oh, he was yeah. doing two or three projects that, that were interested. And, and he came out in the middle of his interview, uh, or, or in, in the most uh, unassuming way. But he, he said something about, um, um, oh, I know London, I know London quite well. I lived there for six months. Um, with my uh, with my first boyfriend um and uh, and the conversation rolled on and uh, to the extent that our editor was interviewing thinking do i do i stop and go back and i've got to go back and, and yeah. go, okay sorry i just do need to acknowledge that because you, you're not out are you and he went well i am to my friends and family and well now to you and i suppose the world he said but you asked me a question and that's what i was doing in london that's why i was living in london and it was the most unassuming coming out i think i've ever come across it, and and it's you know it's it's about halfway through the story uh in a conversation about something else about about what yeah about i remember london. that happening actually you, know, you, you say it and like that yeah, kind of thing of just uh, like oh um, and it was super cool super cool and 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 i think there'll be a lot more fuss around uh, uh, among straight people uh, at a gay footballer than there there will among the lgbt community because i just think people think so what also like this is a bit of a um cynical way to look at it but and i know footballers have got loads of money whatever but i just feel like the first foot like premier league footballer that comes out like then they're never going to be forgotten and also, oh, no. like the, no, no. the, the endorsement and stuff like that. they'll yeah. clean up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. E- even if you know, even if it's a um, a, a player for somebody in the the lower half of the table for one of the smaller clubs, um, you'd, you'd think the big brands would be racing to endorse them yeah. and, and 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 to work with them and to help them and support them. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's just a, a really strange anomaly, I think. Yeah. But then fo- football kind of lives in its own. It's own bubbles we've seen there. And like, with like, um, for example, like, um, Gus Kenworthy, like, I didn't know him before he came out. And yeah, now no, he's exactly. out, I, I can't move for him. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly that. So, you know, there's, there's a chance for somebody or for a group of people, actually, to, to, to change the way that, you know, uh, LGBTQ people in sport are viewed forever. Uh, if they're so minded to do, and and you think if you've got the money and you've got the protection and you've got the support of your club and the people around you, um, then all right, there might be a bit of barracking from the stands uh, initially, but that would get stamped out pretty quickly, mm. um, and 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 it will pass. People will get bored. Um, yeah. And also, but like, then equally, no, no, nobody would have dragged me out of the closet before I was ready. No, that's so, true. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not not really for. No, so you, you, you have to leave people to live their own lives. One hundred percent. Yeah, come to their own conclusions in their own their own time. We'd never out anybody ever under any circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there are things we hear and people we get pointed at, and you think, well, they'll they'll come to us in due course if they've got something to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Obviously, there's a lot of shit going on at the minute, but how is um, lockdown affecting attitude and, like, you know, how our attitude kind of just plowing along regardless? Are you kind of working to change the way? I guess I don't know if this would have you'd have much involvement in this, but yeah, how is that kind of affecting affecting the magazine? Um, well, it's, it's affected the business pretty significantly. Um, uh, half of our uh, staff are on furlough mm-hmm. uh, at the minute, but um, we've kept the core editorial team together so uh we're still producing the magazine we're still publishing um the, 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 
our, our income lines have moved around a bit. So um, our advertising revenues um, have fallen through the floor. Right. Um, but ironically, uh, our subscription sales are through the roof, our download numbers are through the roof, um, and our online uh, unique users um, uh, have gone through the stratosphere. So in a typical month, we'd have between 1.2 to 1.5 million unique users a month on the website, 1.7 million in a, in a, in a really good month. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the first uh, I think three weeks of April, we did two and a half million unique users. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously, because people are at home, they're desperate for something to, to read. Yeah. And I think I, I read somewhere um, re- re- reading is up by forty eight percent. And so, um, so yeah, we've never sold we've never sold more magazines on, on mail order. Anyhow, obviously, a lot of the stores are, are mm-hmm. shut, but we never we never sold more digital downloads uh, or, or more subscriptions. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be posting another episode next Tuesday. And if there's anyone you think you'd like to hear from during an episode, then please get in touch through Instagram at QueerMargins or on email queermargins at gmail.com. Thanks again.